Bridge Bank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to the risk takers, the game changers, and the disruptors. Bridge Bank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. Bridge Bank, be bold, venture wisely. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member. Get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. From KQED. From KQED Public Radio in San Francisco, I'm Mina Kim. Coming up on Forum, street vendors face a lot of risks as they sell their food and wares, and the pandemic has exacerbated their vulnerability. We'll look at how Fresno is responding to the recent killing of a street vendor amid an uptick in thefts and assaults. First, though, we'll take a moment to consider Why We Swim, which is also the title of Bonnie Toy's book, we are pulled to the paradox of water as a source of life and death, says Zoe, who looks at what compels us again and again to swim despite its dangers. Join us. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. To live deliberately as a swimmer means you are a seeker, a chaser of the ocean's blue corduroy, a follower of river veins. That's what New York Times contributor Bonnie Tsui writes in her book, Why We Swim. A lifelong swimmer whose parents met at a pool, Tsui's research into swimming's physical and psychological benefits, combined with her love of the sport, help answer the question of why some, quote, heed the siren call of the water. Bonnie Tsui, welcome to Forum. Thanks so much for having me, Mina. Your book came out last spring when the pandemic began. So your paperback <laughs> version is out now, and it includes a new essay about what it was like to put out a book about swimming at a time when most people could not swim. So given that, what was the reaction to your book last spring? I, you know, it was such a strange time, right? I And and. Um, this has been an interesting day to kind of look back over the year and say, oh, almost a year, almost a year ago to the day, the, you know, why we swim came out and, and we had no wow. idea what was going to happen with the book. <laughs> and um, all of us authors who had been putting, uh, who had been watching and waiting and realizing our books were going to come out in this just unprecedented, uncertain time, just uh, threw up our hands and said, what's going to happen? And I have to say that the last year, the silver linings of it all, of course, um, 
have been that all of these swimmers who, um, you know, we've all had so many things taken away from us and all of these things that we took for granted and never had time to really think about what does this really mean to me? You know, um, you know, we just go to our pools in the morning and we have our workouts and we see our friends and we go home and we go or we go to work um, or we go into the bay or we go into the ocean and then realizing you know, when all the pools close that, oh, that's the daily tonic that keeps me sane. You know, that's the immersion that smooths my feathers back and, and makes me have the sort of mental resources, emotional resources to deal with everything that life throws at me. And um, I had the wonderful, um, you know, joy of receiving these letters from swimmers all around the world who said, you know, you made me think about something that I never thought about before. And that um, that people took to the open waters. I mean, that was just that was the best part. <laughs> <laughs> yes, early on when the pools were closed, people were telling you that they were doing things they never thought they'd do, which was open water swimming, for example, which illustrated your book's whole point that there's something that people need about being in the water. Can you talk more about that, about how what happened reflected the very things that you write about in your book about the pull of the water, especially in hard times? Bonnie Tsui? Well, while we wait to try to reconnect with Bonnie Tsui, I'd love to share a little bit with you from Bonnie Tsui's book. And this is a passage that she had planned to read, and I hope she doesn't mind that I am going to read it. Uh, it begins with, Why Do We Swim?, which is the title of her book. Why do we swim when evolution has shaped us to excel on land by running down prey until it drops from exhaustion? Of course, it has to do with survival. Somewhere along the way, swimming helped us to get from one prehistoric lakeshore to another and escape predators of our own, to die for that trove of bigger shellfish and get to new sources of food, to venture across oceans and settle new lands, to navigate all manner of aquatic perils and see swimming as a source of joy, pleasure, achievement, to arrive at this day to talk about why we swim. This book is an investigation of what seduces us to water, despite its dangers, and why we come back to it again and again. It's clear to me that once we can swim for survival, swimming can be so much more. The act of swimming can be one of healing and health, a way to well-being. Swimming together can be a way to find community through a team, a club, or a shared beloved body of water. We have only to watch each other in water to know that it creates the space for play. If we get good enough at the thing, it can be an engine of competition, a way to test our mettle in the pool or open water. Swimming is about the mind, too, to find rhythm in the water, is to discover a new way of being in the world through flow. This is about our human relationship to water and how immersion can open our imaginations. I'm reading from Bonnie Tsui's book, Why We Swim. And Bonnie Tsui, are you back with us? I'm back. <laughs> I'm so glad. I heard and your I... Zoom crash. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. So pandemic live shows. Anyway, um, that, <laughs> that was the passage that I know that you plan to read. And mm -hmm. it in some ways starts to answer the question that I was asking you just before the Zoom crashed, which is why people need the water, why people feel that swimming is a way to deal with hard times. What did you discover about that as you researched your book? Well, one of the things that um, really um, stood out to me is how, um, you know, all of the science sh 
shows that our brains respond uh, to the sounds and sights and, um, you know, just being around water. You don't even have to get in it to um, experience the benefits of what uh, we are just sort of hardwired um, to what I love. Uh, the writer, science writer Florence Williams writes in her book um, about, uh, it's called The Nature Fix, and it's about how our brains are wired to certain set points in the environment, you know, re- responding to blue places, green places, that um, when we are around water, we are alpha wave activity increases, you know, those mm. are the, um, the waves, the brain waves that are associated with calm and relaxation and creativity, you know, and that, and then once we get into the water, of course, we know that it feels so good. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, just to plunge into like sensorily, you, you understand that like all of your senses are kind of muffled and there's this um, meditative hush and, and think back to when we are, um, you know, in the womb that there's a, a very like thinking about what that's like um, must be like, and 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 how we respond to that, you it makes sense. You know, it makes sense that that's the soothing, that's the um, the comfort of it, both from a sound and from um, an immersion perspective. Yes, and of course, one of the things that you really touch on is the way that uh, there is this evolutionary piece to the pull, meaning. You talk about how we've evolved from water. And one of the ways that you illuminate this point is through the story of Goodliger Friedthorsen, who mm-hmm. basically was saved by his own biology. Can you share mm-hmm. a little bit of that story and why it grabbed you so much? Absolutely. Um, it is the reason why I chose that story to open the book, right? So in uh, 1984, this um, Icelandic fisherman named Goodliger Friedthorsen, um, his fishing vessel capsized off the coast of Iceland, and he ended up swimming um, six hours, over six kilometers in 41-degree water um, back to safety. Everyone else perished. I mean, you and I would um, die, you know, within 20, 30 minutes or just of hypothermia, and he ended up swimming for six hours in this water, freezing water, much colder air, um, and then once he got out of the water to safety, he, you know, he exhibited no signs of hypothermia, just a little bit of dehydration. And it turns out that not only was he a great swimmer, um, that his body uh, was like had a you know a biological quirk where his fat layer was two to three times normal human thickness and more solid, and he was like. Uh, basically more like a seal, a human human seal, a marine mammal than a terrestrial mammal. And, um, you know, they studied his body and how it responded to to cold water immersion, and he was able to keep his core body temperature stable, where, you know, normally we can't do that. Um, But we uh, kind of, to me, this story is like this melding of, like, biology and um, uh, sort of, what we know, what we learn, because we as humans have to learn how to swim. Um, we don't know how to do it from birth the way a lot of terrestrial mammals do. And so it's this funny intertwining of all of these things that make him his story so um, enthralling for us. You know, we love survival stories. We love myths about selkies, you know, the half uh, human half seal peoples of like Scottish and Icelandic lore and, and, and all of those um, things made make his story so compelling for us. 
he definitely was at a point in his life when you reached out to him where he was no longer talking with people from the mm -hmm. media. Can you right. share a little bit about why that was and what you think made the difference in terms of your ability to get him to befriend you? You know, I, you know, as a journalist, of course, I, um, so sort of sort of back up at the time, of course, this was 1984. Um, he at first was very willing to talk about his experiences and, and shared them in order to, you know, make fishing vessels safer, um, you know, putting life rafts that are automatically deploying on the, on the fishing vessels. Cause that's sort of what happened that night that, um, you know, his friends died and it was like this very traumatic event right. in Iceland, of course, these kinds of things are commonplace, were commonplace for so many, um, many, many years because it's just like a fishing um, and island culture. And so he, you know, I think you can only really talk so much about, um, you know, something, a tragic thing that happened to you before you realize, you know, A, you're, you're tired of talking about it, B, you want to move on with your life um, and just live, you know, you want to live um, and leave these sad uh, things and memories behind. Um, and so he stopped talking to the media and, and, um, you know, but every year there's a swim held in his honor, um, uh, called good It's good swim, you know, and it's like this annual tradition that honors him and, and there would be like more attention and, um, mm. internationally people would keep calling. And then, um, there was this movie made about him and he, um, you know, I decided like what I wanted to do was to send him a letter. So I wrote him a letter and then um, ran it through Google Translate <laughs> into Icelandic and then I mailed <laughs> both versions of it to him. And um, and then he wrote back, you know, and we just, um, you know, at first he said, no, he didn't really want to be a part of my project. It wasn't personal, but um, we just kept writing and we were pen pals for a year and then I went to see him in Iceland, and um, and the rest of it is uh, I tell it in the book. But it is really such a special. I'm really so honored that he trusted me with his story, and I think he did because you know, in the larger context of just swimming and what it means to um, our species, I think he thought that his story could sit in there in the way that he wanted it to. And I think that it was less about him and what happened to him and what he was able to do than what that sort of exemplified about like resilience and just uh, us strange humans and our relationship with the water. And I'm really, really glad that he did trust me to do that. Yes, there is something that connects swimmers and the experience of swimming. And I'm going to invite our listeners to tell us why we swim, why they swim. After the break, this is Forum. I'm Mimi Kim. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall -wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall -wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall -wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're talking about why we swim, the psychological, the personal, the historical, the health reasons that we do it. 
with Bonnie Tsui, journalist and New York Times contributor, and of course, author of the book, Why We Swim. Why do you swim? And if you're not a swimmer, what's your relationship? with swimming, your relationship to water. Give us a call, 866-733-6786. Again, 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter or Facebook at KQED Forum, or you can email your questions to forum at kqed.org. James writes, I'm a bay and ocean swimmer. Anecdotally, the majority of bay swimmers I see going with wetsuits or skins are women and speculation on why men tend to avoid cold water swims while women are drawn to them? Huh, Bonnie Tsui, any thoughts on that? Have you thought about whether this falls along gender lines? Um, that's a a great question. I won't purport to have any, um, you know, diehard sort of opinions on this. Um, I do think that, um, at least from an um, anecdotal perspective with um, open water swims and women, um, especially as the distances grow longer, that a lot of the, the sort of like speed elements um, fall away, you know, the sort of like brute strength. I don't mean brute as in like a caveman. <laughs> I mean brute as just like sheer muscle strength, um, sprint strength kind of falls away, those advantages um, that have traditionally separated men and women um, when it comes to Mm. physical um, activities. And um, efficiency and endurance really um, kind of seem to fall on the on the side of women. And and maybe that has to do with buoyancy and um, just like, you know, pain tolerance, endurance. But again, you know, there's also um, some evidence of this over um, other sports as well, with like ultra running, say, um, or different kinds of um, ultra marathon type sports. But um, definitely with uh, marathon swimming, you know, this is something that it does seem that um, the, the, you know, some of the traditional um, differences or advantages of one or the other have been, have sort of fallen away. So you decided yourself to do a wetsuit free swim in San Francisco Bay. Can you talk about Can you talk about why you wanted to do that and what the experience was like what you learned from that experience? I mean, I think that the Dolphin Club and South End Rowing Club swimmers are just an inspiration for us all. I mean, just getting into the bay like year round and swimming and just you know, reminding themselves and us what it means to be alive. You know, that water just makes you feel electric and alive. And um, I wanted to know what that was like. You know, I, I've swum in, I had swum in the bay, um, you know, numerous times before and had, you know, swum from Alcatraz, but I had worn a wetsuit at that time. And I remember thinking, you know, this was open water swimming, what had at that time years ago was new to me. And so I thought, you know, I want to feel what it feels like to just be, you know, in the 50-ish, 50-plus degree water with just, you know, my swimsuit. And, of course, I had the best tutor, who was Kim Chambers, who was world record um, phenom, marathon swimmer, first woman to swim from the Farallons in San Francisco. She's yes. just a, like a delight and just like the biggest champion of open water swimming because of what it did for her. Um, and I just got in the water with her and we just, I just remember feeling like um, I I knew it was going to kind of hurt for a little bit, but then, and it did, it it does feel like (laughs) ice fires are flaming all over your body, but then it feels great. You just feel, you just feel alive. And I think that um, 
this very acute sensory reminder of that is why we do it. And, um, you know, in this particular year, um, having something simply so accessible to us, you know, to be able to walk into the bay and swim around for a little bit and, and get out and just be like, okay, you know, this washes away a lot of all of the weight, um, really, like um, both, um, of course, literally and figuratively, that, you know, the water really buoys us up and, and we can't help but sort of reflect that back in our emotional states. I remember you talking about how you had difficulty, though, after that swim getting warm, and you talk about how the cold burns in a funny way, and then you're mm-hmm. generating your own heat. It's feeling acutely more alive, you say, and paradoxically being closer to death. This paradox mm. is something you really talk about a lot. What have you learned, or what have you come to appreciate about the paradox of swimming that we are, quote, as you say, pulled to the paradox of water as a source of life and death? Mm. You know, I've I've thought about this a lot. I I when I'm one of those um, people who, when I was a kid, I was so afraid of death and I was so afraid of dying. And when we would visit our um, our relatives' uh, graves during like various, um, you know, the Qingming festival for us Chinese is that we're we're visiting our, our the graves of our um, ancestors and you know sweeping them and, and cleaning them. And I remember visiting my great grandfather's grave and just being so scared. I think I was six years old, and then just um, you know being afraid of that, like and not having anyone to talk to about what that felt like. And when I started swimming. Um, you know, from a very young age, it made me feel very acutely aware of this, you know, the ocean, especially as this really joyous, but also very dangerous place, you know, and you kind of have to learn to live with that to be able to enjoy um, being in it. And so being in open water now as an adult, I mean, every time I go out into the Pacific, whether it's to surf um, or to swim, uh, I feel that, you know, alertness to just what the environment is, but also just, you you know, when you're in the open ocean, you confront um, dangers and hazards. So you are very alert and aware of, of what you're doing and what the water is to you. And I think that as a daily practice, you know, whether it's paddling out, you know, to Ocean Beach or Pacifica First Light or to swim in the Bay or swim at Aquatic Park or swim in the Pacific um, to, Um, recognize that and still do it and still feel that I'm seeking something from it, I'm getting something from it, and that's joy. And I think that practice is a kind of a Buddhist (laughs) practice for me of accepting and still embracing like what that is, Hmm. which is to be alive in the face of death. Let me go to caller Malcolm in San Bruno. Hi, Malcolm. Join us. Hi, um, I really enjoy this program, Forum in general. Thank you for allowing me to talk to you. I've enjoyed listening to your stories. San Pacifica, near San Francisco, has uh, a deep water, about 12, 13 foot, uh, saltwater pool, uh, many lanes, 10 or 12 lanes. And I love to dive in the deep water to the bottom and then swim underwater, uh, five or six lanes to where I go work out. And mm-hmm. it's just a feeling of elation to work, work out in that environment. Um, and I was wondering... Um, if you had any thoughts about older people like myself, I'm nearing 70, who like to swim and want to start swimming longer distances, what what type of training or what type of steps towards getting uh, more capable would you recommend? Thank you. I'll take my call, answer off the air. Thanks, Malcolm. 
Thanks, Malcolm. Um, I guess I'm, I, uh, I wonder if you're talking about um, longer distances in the pool or in open water. And I think that if you are um, thinking about venturing in the open water, I mean, just um, find a good buddy. Find a buddy and find someone who knows, um, you know, where it is that you want to do like this longer distance kind of open water swimming. If it's in the pool, I mean, you know, I think just training, putting in more hours. And I, I know that I have, I know lots of folks who swim in, in the pool that you described in Pacifica and they love it. And I know that you have a good master's program there. So, you know, I would take the advice of your master's coach if you're talking about uh, swimming longer distances in the pool. But um, if it is open water, I know a lot of folks are really interested in that um, or have been trying it. And again, it's so awesome that in this time to be able to learn something new and try something new. And it makes you, you know, really proud that you've been able to overcome that. Um, I think start with a buddy, um, you know, kind of start slowly, especially in the colder water. And um, like little by little, you get to know a spot um, and then you can really swim uh, longer uh, and adapt to that. I mean, you really, we really are um, very resilient when it comes to water. Well, Ted Wright, swimming is one of the things I've missed the most during the pandemic. Used to go to the Y right after work cleared my head and is a great workout. How does swimming affect the brain compared to other exercises? Well, we talked about that a little bit with the alpha wave activity, but there has been, so in the book, I um, I really wanted to get at some of the science around swimming and what swimming as a an exercise really did for us. And um, there is a, um, uh, a longevity scientist named um, Hiro Tanaka, and he, talk, he told me about how they did all these swimming studies with um, arthritis patients and just about like pain tolerance and um, mobility and, you know, being able to like just flexibility and and, and all of that improving all in the water and strength um, without, you know, all of the, uh, I guess, the impact of of being on land and and gravity, of course. And that um, from a pain perspective, I mean, just from like a euphoric, you know, your, your, your dopamine levels go up. Um, your metabolism speeds up. And so it all kind of um, is this wonderful feedback loop where then when you get out of the water, they found that all of these um, patients with arthritis, you know, all of those benefits continued. So it wasn't just about being in the water and then being buoyed and then feeling like, um, oh, you know, while I'm in the water, I feel good, but once I get out, it, it does. I feel bad again. It's that all of that... Um, wonderful, uh, I guess, your brain on the dopamine uh, boost of swimming really does help um, manage um, pain. And so we know that that's such a um, such a big thing as you get older with like um, managing your health and wellness and, and, and of course, injuries. And um, so I think that swimming is wonderful across all ages. And, you know, when you get in the water, you want to play. Uh, water is conducive to that. So I think... Um, uh, when Malcolm was talking about being in the pool um, in Pacifica and swimming on, on deep underwater with all the lanes, I always think back to when I get in the pool, no matter who is in, you know, doing the lane, doing the laps in the morning, that they, you know, you see the strictest looking guy who then dives down under the lanes and is spiraling around, you know, for no other reason than it feels good and it's fun and it's play. And, you know, kids, that's what swimming reminds us to do, to play like we did when we were kids. You also talk about how bodies of water are shared spaces. Can you talk about mm. what you mean by that? I mean that, okay, so water connects us. I mean, just to 
you feel that when you're in the water, um, you are sh- you're sharing it with bodies, you know, in a very simple, um, in a very essential way, you know, whether it's a pool or the ocean or a lake. And, um, and I think that especially, you know, in my experience growing up um, in New York at Jones Beach and, and at the public community pool where I grew up swimming and both on swim team and then as a lifeguard, uh, the public space, the shared space of, of, you know, being in that water with all kinds of um, bodies of different ages and races and colors and sizes. And um, that was really beneficial to me. You know, I grew up in a town that was pretty white and um, I went to a school that was very white. And then in this pool, I write about this in the book, um, um, the Freeport Rec Center, shout out to that uh, across the country, um, that um, it was in, uh, it was a, it was a rec pool, community pool that was um, really diverse and in a town that was um, uh, very black and Latino. And for me, as um, you know, a Chinese-American girl growing up in the 80s, that, that felt like, that felt like um, a community that was reflecting back to me just different people than what I was mm. seeing, which was, mm. again, like a very, very white community. And so it was the one that was very accepting. It had lots of um, kids from all over Long Island um, and of all different socioeconomic um, classes. And it was it was home to me. You know, I was swam on that club team for 10 years. And I also um, became a lifeguard and taught some lessons. And it was just like, it made me feel for the first time, like at home in my body. Mm, So many different levels of community, so many different levels of sharing. Let me go to Sid in San Francisco next. Hi, Sid, join us. Hi. Um, I have dealt with um, a lot of um, neurological problems all my life. And it definitely helped me with, uh, and, and, Luckily, Bonnie just explained how it helps with pain and managing pain, the chronic pain and everything. It also, but but with the physical problems comes with a, a, a lot of um, psychological and mental problems with it, which is um, sometimes depression and um, sadness and um, not being able to be part of the community, you know, going to parties, doing things. And um, it helped me with that a lot, and I, I think it's the best therapy I can recommend, mm. but I don't know how to verbalize it, and I think the, the author can help um, put it in words. Sid, yes, I, I think you shared that beautifully, and there is another listener here who echoes your point about therapy. This listener tweets, I've been a daily swimmer since the early 80s. I swim for sanity, meditation, exercise, joy, and memory triggers. I wrote a song after my dad died, swimming through the tears, and I wrote it underwater and in the locker room shower. So swimming is therapy too. Kimberly writes, I grew up in Oahu as a military brat. To this day, being near and in the ocean gives me a childlike wonder, remembering a world before adult responsibilities. To this day, I have to live near an ocean. And Ben asks, I have a mammalian response characteristic, which is where I jump in water and I want to gulp air and my body amps up in fear. I was told that this is easily overcome, but can you tell me how? (laughs) Any thoughts on that? Well, first, I wanted to say, Sid, thank you so much for describing what the water means to you, because I think that you said it beautifully, which is that it is therapy. It is um, 
you know, soothing it is uh, in all of the ways that you described. Um, oh, the mammalian diaphylax, a lot of times, so with very, very cold water, um, and I, I suppose this um, instinct we have to inhale uh, in really cold water, like if it's a shock, then you can inhale water. There's a chance of that. So the recommendation is always to, if the water is really cold, to kind of ease into it. Um, if you're not used to it, to prevent that from happening. I mean, there are definitely reflexes that we have um, that uh, are meant to be, you know, kind of safety things. But um, in pra- in sort of reality and practice, sometimes they're they're hazardous for us. Um, but uh, you know, all of this, I love what everyone um, has to say about uh, what water means to them. And I think that uh, it can be very therapeutic and buoying and soothing. And that's why we are so mad for it and after it, uh, you know, despite, um, you know, having to learn how to do it, having to practice, having to manage our oftentimes fears um, to get in. And Heather writes, a reflection as well about what swimming means to Heather. There's just something about water in the ocean. At age 16, I discovered surfing and was a goner. I returned to the sea for my peace of mind. I still paddle and dive down to the bottom and hang out for a bit. And I understand you have a kid's book coming out about a surfer, Bonnie Zoe, next month. Is that right? I do. Um, it's called Sarah and the Big Wave, and it's about Sarah Gerhardt, who is um, a Santa Cruz resident uh, and the first woman to surf Mavericks, um, that big wave surf break down in Half Moon Bay. And it is about the day she meets her first big wave um, there. And it was such a joy to get to write this book. And it's illustrated by the wonderful um uh, artist Sophie Dow, and we are really excited to introduce it into the world on May 11th. Um, and uh, that's another like kind of pandemic silver lining, which is like to get this book ready um, to for the summer, <laughs> for the summer, yes. and, and you know, surfing's debut in the Olympics, and it's really exciting. Yes. Well, there's so we're looking forward to that. And there's so much in this that I really appreciate to reflect on about the role of swimming in our lives. Bonnie Tsui, thank you so much for coming on to talk about it today. Thank you, Mina. It was such a pleasure. And thanks for our listeners for sharing their experiences with swimming, why they swim, why they don't, and also um, uh, what it means to them. Caroline Smith produced today's segment. We'll have more right after the break about some issues that street vendors are facing these days. So stay with us for that. I'm Mina Kim. This is Forum. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. 
Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.